again, everybody. Welcome to episode 21 of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian DiNovellis. We've got a great show for you ahead. Zach Braziller from the New York Post will join me to talk St. John's and Seton Hall. And of course, Big East Hoops. Zach does an outstanding job covering the Johnnies and the Hall. Plus, a bit later, I'll be joined by the winningest men's basketball coach in all of New Jersey college basketball. That's Division One, Two, or Three, Caldwell University's Mark Carino. He just broke the record last Saturday. All right, so we've got a great show, but before we get to Zach and Mark, I'd just like to say I appreciate everyone who's been downloading and listening to the podcast since I started it in March. If you get a chance, please subscribe to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast on Apple or Spotify. Tell your friends about it as well. I'm really hoping to build this. I love college hoops. I love college hoops in a tri-state. I have a passion about it. So do you. That's probably why you're listening. We'll try to keep giving you the news, the information, and the opinions on college hoops that you're looking for. So we'll try to grow it together. And please give us a follow, subscribe to us, and we'll see where it all goes. All right. Now, it is my pleasure to welcome Zach Braziller. He was at Gampo Pavilion on Wednesday. He is a person who knows St. John's and Seton Hall inside and out. Zach, welcome to the podcast, and it's a pleasure to have you on. What's up, Brian? How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, you know, a lot better than Seton Hall and St. John's are. Whoa, whoa, what's going on over there, Zach? Everything okay? Uh, I don't know. There's always crazy stuff going on in this story. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Something like the fire truck was in your living room there. I love it. No, nah, just driving by. Just driving by. Uh, so listen, you're right there in Queens. You're at the Pulse of St. John's. What is their mindset following these these heartfelt and hard-fought losses and most recently that overtime loss to UConn? You know, I obviously it was a, a really tough loss to UConn. I thought it was kind of – it was actually St. John's best performance of the season. I, I thought, you know, they, they were down double digits a, a few different times. They came back. They actually went ahead with – Four four point eight seconds left on a Julian Champagny three pointer, um, and then you know they they just couldn't get a stop on that last possession. They they got a bad break where Dylan Adewus who tipped out a home run pass out of bounds. If he catches that or the ball stays in bounds, they probably win. So you know, but as frustrating as that loss was, to me it was a step in the right direction. It was it was a very it was a good performance and. You know, I feel like they are getting better. You know, they played about 25 good minutes against Providence. I felt they played a lot, you know, played much more of a complete game against UConn. Now, look, they they really don't have much of a resume at this point. Their right. best win is Monmouth, you know. Um, did beat DePaul at home. So they got to get going here, but I do think they're at least going in the right direction, at least starting to, you know, after these two performances against two pretty good teams on the road. So, all right, let, let, before we get to that, uh, because so much I want to talk about with the record and what they've done so far, I mean, this game, you know, what other positives can you take out of it? Obviously, the comeback, it was meticulous and methodical, and, you know, you thought that UConn was in control of that game, and they just kept chipping away. Um, you know, I, I liked what I saw out of not just Champagny, but Aaron Wheeler, you know, put in a nice uh, defensive game and offensive game before he fouled out. You know, Wheeler all of a sudden is kind of finding it. You know, he was a transfer from Purdue who could be really disappointed. You know, all their transfers have, have been up and down. But he had, you know, I, I had really high expectations for him. He had been very disappointing, but then he 
played a good game against the Paul and he had 15 at Providence. He had 13 and seven against UConn. He's starting to hit the three pointer. He's always a guy who can shoot, you know, he's his emergence. If he could become a, at least a consistent secondary or, or third score for them would be really significant. You know, he was one of the, the big positives to me in these last two games, you know, it, it if he could kind of get, become consistent, a, a consistent threat on the perimeter, a guy who who rebounds the ball, I think that 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 could be very significant for this team. And a day Wusso, I mean, since he's been inserted into the starting lineup, he's like instant energy. Yeah, you know, he's he's like he's a guy who was kind of very lightly recruited. He was a two star recruit, and you know, he had, he had a solid freshman year, and and he's been good this year. You know, he get can be a little sloppy. They're having him handle the ball a lot. He he did you know turnovers are an issue. I I I didn't think he played very well against Province UConn. Now he does provide you with some offense and he can defend, but he's got to cut down on his turnovers. I believe he had I believe he had eight turnovers in those two games, and that's just something that they 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 can't afford. He's got they've got he's got to become better at, at handling the ball. Turnover margin is something that St. John's is very good at. So it's surprising for a team that leads the Big East and you know, turnover margin for them to be so careless with the ball. Is is it their opponent, you know, and who they're playing at Providence and at UConn on the road? Does that have something? No, I mean, they've, they've, you know, this team has not been great. You know, Mike Harris's teams usually, like you mentioned, they have this great turnover margin because they create a ton of turnovers and they take care of the ball. This team is creating the turnovers, but it is, it is not taking care of the ball nearly as well as some of his past teams. Now it has gotten better recently. It was, you know, that was a, a huge issue earlier in the year. I, I I know their turnovers are down. I think they're at, they're at about 14 a game. Now it was, it was up, it was higher earlier in the season. So they are getting better in that area, but the, the, the areas this team has really struggled and that's kind of rare for my kind of team is committing too many turnovers and not scoring enough in transition. This team does not finish off opportunities on the fast break well at all. They're a team that struggles, you know, around the basket outside of a few guys. And that's something that's really got to get better. You know, the, the win over the Paul, they should have won that game by about 15 or 20. They, they missed a million layups. Same thing, you know, Providence, they missed a ton of layups. Felt like it was a little better against UConn when they weren't getting their shot blocked. They had about 20, 20 shots blocked, <laughs> but it, it, it's an issue, you know, Mike Anderson, see, when you're creating all these turnovers, you got to take advantage of them. And this team just hasn't done it consistently enough. So the big chat on Twitter following the game was the poor whistle that, you know, St. John's got in this game. And I guess it depends which side of the fence you're on. You know, UConn fans can say, oh, you know, of course they're going to have more fouls. They were trying to catch up late. But I kind of disagree with that. Um, I I think a lot of those fouls happened – you know, uh, during the flow of the game and before St. John's really had to, uh, you know, foul. I know we're not blaming the officials here, but, you know, when there are plays that are, you know, a block charge on R.J. Cole in the first half, when Montez Mathis is driving and he scores and St. John's is thinking it's a three-point play opportunity and instead, you know, it's two points that's wiped off the board, a potential five-point swing. Calls like that that continuously go against you, not only do they add up, players foul out, and and then you're wondering what it takes to get, you know, a call on the road. Am I looking at this through rose-colored glasses here, uh, Zach, or is that the way you saw the game as well? 
You know, I actually thought they got a worse whistle against Providence. I, I, I thought the officiating in the Providence game was terrible, mm-hmm. especially especially in the first half um, of that game. You know, St. John's outplayed Providence in the first half, and they're only up three. Should have been up a lot more. I thought Providence got a lot of really good whistles. Now, the second half, Providence earned it. But they think they – I think – I mean, they took about 14 more free throws than St. John's. And, look, you St. John's got some bad calls against UConn. I felt the officiating was even was more one sided the Providence game, and with all that said, you know about the officiating. St. John's still had a one, you know, had a lead with four and a half seconds left, and you know they they got a bad bounce on the deflection, and, and they couldn't get a defensive rebound on the the Tyrese Martin miss. So they still had a chance to win that game, but I, I really felt the Providence officials, the officiating in the Providence game was was worse. I thought that was a that was a terribly officiated game. I thought it was completely one sided. Now, look, there were a few really bad calls in the UConn game. The Mathis call was bad. There was a charge on Posh that was bad. There was one play where R.J. Cole took about three and a half steps, and then they called a phantom foul on St. John's. But St. John's, especially offensively, a lot of what they do they you know, with, with Champagny is that they're on the perimeter, and that sometimes doesn't lend itself to fouls. And the way they play with their pressure in all game, you kind of they're probably going to commit more fouls than the other team most of the time. But with all that said, I did think they got a bad a bad whistle on both these games, especially the Providence game. So listen, they have to put all this behind them, right? Uh, it, it's been a strange season in Queens. This is a team that was predicted uh, fourth in the Big East Conference, uh, fourth or fifth, but fourth by the coaches. Uh, they're in the bottom third of the league right now. Uh, their net is 100. They haven't won a road game yet. 0-3 on the road, an awful quad four loss to Pitt. As Yogi Berra used to say, it's getting late early around here, Zach. And, and their schedule coming up right after this Georgetown game on Sunday, which is, is, which is a must win for this team. I mean, it, it's brutal. At Creighton, home and home with Seton Hall, at Villanova to end January. Uh, and then they host Providence. I mean, there's no soft part of the schedule coming up. You know, if they don't start winning some games, uh, it's going to be awful, awfully hard to make up these games come February, especially when, you know, these COVID makeups happen. Yeah, I mean, now look, they they they, they just came off playing two to the better, um, you know, better road teams in the league. And look, the way the league is, is there aren't a lot of soft spots, which you can look at it two ways. Um, it makes it tough, but it also gives you opportunities. Like St. John's doesn't need a lot of soft wins right now. They need, they need to build up a resume, which they really don't have right now. So while the schedule, I agree, is tough, it presents you opportunities that they really need to take advantage of. You know, I, I this obviously, look, Georgetown, it sounds like they're going to be without their two starting guards, um, Harris and Carey. I know they, they got blown away by Butler at home yesterday. I, I fully expect St. John's to win this game and to win it handily. If they don't, to me, it's a really bad sign, especially when you consider, you know, they played you. They played a really good game against UConn. They played a good game for about 25 minutes against Providence. So, to me, you're seeing progress, and you know, Mike Anderson's teams usually do get better as the year goes on. Especially by February, they they usually hit their stride. Last year's team started one and five in the Big East and nearly made the tournament. So, I think they're starting to. They're, they are headed in the right direction, but. They really need a, you know, a kind of a stress-free win on Sunday 
to kind of to start to build some momentum. And then look, you go to Creighton. Creighton's a tough place to play. There's no doubt. They've over. I think Creighton's overachieved. I don't think they're as good as their resume. I don't think they're as good as their net. I don't think they're as good as their record. I think that's a good matchup for St. John's. Creighton likes to play fast, which is you know really plays into how 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 St. John's wants to play. I don't think Creighton has anyone to guard Champagny. I like Posh against Nemhart. You know, two guys who kind of play similarly. So I, I actually, you know, I think if St. John's can build up some confidence Sunday, maybe they go in, they can get their first quad one win at, at Creighton. I, I think that's a game where I think St. John's matches up well with Creighton. But first they got to find a way. They got to beat Georgetown. To me, they got to do it handily just to really build off of this UConn performance. You know, listen, I agree with everything. I, I think you are completely a, a – you're taking positives out of everything, Zach, and I think you have to. The sky is not falling. Uh, you sound like, you know, a, a positive optimist, which I am as well. So I'm, I'm listening to you saying, OK, you know, opportunities. And suddenly if you win Georgetown, you get a little momentum on the road, like you're saying, get to three, win at Creighton. Now you're three and two heading into back to back games against Seton Hall. Um, and suddenly your, your season is headed in the right direction. I, I, I like that. Um, I mean, look, I mean, they clearly have fallen well short of expectations. I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. You know, uh, they've lost two really close, tough games on the road to Indiana and UConn. You know, if they win those two or they even win one of those, you know, you're, this season has a, a, a very different feel to it. But they have a – look, they're one and two in the league. They've played two of the best teams on the road in the league. They have 17 games left. They have a, they have a ton of – you know – the league did St. John's such a service this year with how it played in the non-conference, because if the league was in the, wasn't as good, St. John's would be in a huge bind to make the tournament, mm-hmm. you know, with the, with the net of a hundred and um, some of these losses. But the fact is they have a ton of opportunities. They have a ton of opportunities at home. You know, if they win their home games and they find you know, they could get three or four on the road, they're probably going to make the tournament. Now, is this team good enough to do that? I, I don't know that we don't know that, but they do have two of the best players in the league in Champagne and Posh. They, to me, are better than the, what they've shown us so far this year. And I think Wednesday was kind of the start of that because the way that team played is kind of the formula. They they have to play that way. They have to play that hard. They have to play that well defensively. And if they do that, they're gonna they're gonna win their fair share of games. All right, you gave us uh, some great insight on on St. John's and where they are and what they have to do. Uh, Seton Hall just. You know, just when we think that that maybe they're the best team in the Big East, the deepest team, the most talented team, they forgot there was a first half last night against DePaul, and they dug themselves such a hole uh, that that they they nearly pulled out pulled a rabbit out of their hat and fell short. I, I think the DePaul game is is a not only a wake up call but it's a, it's a lesson to learn in this league. You better bring it for forty minutes, and you better bring it against every single team because otherwise uh, you can lose this game, whether you're at home or on the road. Especially on the road. I mean, you have to shoot. Like, now, you probably get away with it against Georgetown, but that's the only team. Anyone else, you don't bring it and you don't, you know, respect them. And clearly, Seton Hall did not. thought they could just, you know, roll the balls out yesterday and win that game. Any team in this league, especially on the road, you do that, you're not going to win. The league is incredibly deep. It's really tough. Um, You know, and that's clearly what happened here. You know, Seton Hall played about 10 good minutes, 10 hard minutes, and that's that's not going to get it done. And look, 
I think a few people I've seen a lot on Twitter are, you know, you lost to the Paul. Like, the Paul's not that bad. Right. Paul's got players. You know, I know Freeman Liberty got hurt in the second half, but, you know, they have other guys, David Jones and, and Jalen Terry. Like, they, they are not a bad team. They're now a top 100 net team. They, they beat Louisville. They beat Rutgers. Not that either of those teams are, you know, great, but they're still quality, high majors. You know, DePaul almost won at St. John's on, on a night that Julian Champagne had 34 and 18. I mean, to me, the to me, DePaul, I would I think they're clearly better than Georgetown. I think they're better than Butler. I think DePaul's probably gonna finish ninth in this league, but they have ability where they can beat you if you don't bring it. And right. that's clearly what happened. Which is one of the that would be one of their best uh seasons, you know, in years in the big east. Um, and you're right, Jalen Terry is a former top 100 player who was at Oregon and, and he's had some moments, not many, you know, he only averaged five points a game coming into this, this game against Seton hall and, and absolutely lit them up for 28 points, uh, hit every big free throw down the stretch and really was the star of that game. Once, once Freeman Liberty was out, um, DePaul is dangerous. Now I'm not making excuses for Seton hall. Um, you have to play and you have to bring it. And now, they have to go on the road to face a Marquette team on Saturday. Uh, and that's not going to be easy. That is a must win game for Seton Hall early in, in this uh, part of the I season. I don't know if I call it a must win. I look, you don't want to go 0 2 on this trip, but Marquette is really good, or at least Marquette's played well above their heads. They're a tough right. team. It's on the road. I think it's a pretty, I mean, it's got to be a quite, it's obviously a quad one game. You don't want to lose the game. I wouldn't go nuts if they lost the game. Okay, that's fair. Maybe a little over I, I mean, look, on my part. It, they they're in they're in fine shape. They still have a net in the top thirty. Um, they're going to make the tournament. They're they're you know you you don't want you don't want to lose the game, but I'm not worried about them at all. They'll be fine. They they played a bad game. I still I think they're going to win the game anyway, personally. But on Saturday, but they played a bad game. It happens. They didn't bring it. It'll it'll be good for them in the long run. I, I don't think there's there's an issue here. All right, Zach, let's talk Big East as a whole. A couple of more questions, one on the teams and maybe one on individual players. Uh, which team has surprised you the most in the Big East and which has disappointed you the most so far? I, I think it's a tie between Providence and Marquette. You know, I thought I liked Providence. I did say they could be a sleeper, but I'm still surprised at where they are right now. I mean, I think they have what they have five quad one wins and or right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's five quad one wins. They're tied for first in the league. I mean, they're, they're having a great year. This is after a few down seasons, you know, they, they've really impressed me. And then Marquette coming out of nowhere. I, I thought there was a chance Marquette would finish ninth in this league and they look like a tournament team. I, I keep thinking they're going to, kind of slide back and, and regress. And look, I still think I still think Marquette, Creighton, and Providence are all regression candidates. I think they're all playing a bit over their heads. But right now you got to think all three of those teams are are all obviously, I mean, I think Providence is Marquette are in great shape to make the tournament. Creighton's in good shape. Um, you know, I mean, all three of these teams, you know, have have, have clearly overachieved. And if we're going disappointing, I think it's St. John's at Butler. I there were people who told me they thought Butler could be the second best team in the league preseason. And now they've had a lot of injuries, but this team just has not come, come close to what you thought it could be. And you say the same thing about St. John's, 
you know, at least Butler really has excuses. You know, St. John's has been fine health-wise. You know, obviously they they didn't have Champetti for the Pittsburgh loss, and they had some COVID stuff. But you know, they're own four and quad one games. They lost really close ones to you know to to Indiana and, and UConn, where they couldn't get a key stop late. They were blown away by Kansas and Providence. Second half really, you know, took control of them. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think those are the two most disappointing teams. But here's the thing about this league you can get yourself back in the torn picture in a hurry. Mm-hmm. That's that's the thing, you know, about, you know, I've seen a lot of negativity from certain fan bases, you know, St. John specifically. A few good, you know, a three-in-one stretch, and all of a sudden you're, you're looking good because there are just so many opportunities for good wins. You know, the league, the league's non-conference schedule, just they just – this was so important. I think there's – I think this is a 17 – team uh i think this is a seven bid league this year i really do and, and i i don't even think it's just a seven bid league i think it's seven bid league i think there are four to five teams that can make the sweet 16 i think the league is that good look at the teams that are doing well and look at all the great players they were able to return who were able to return this year for a fifth year whether it's colin gillespie whether it's samuels whether it's bryce aiken uh whether it's uh miles kale right um nate watson these teams are succeeding with these graduate seniors. And, and that's a big reason why, I think. We're still in this one and then era, but if you look at recent years, the teams, the experienced teams are the ones that win. Yeah. You know, the teams that, you know, have guys back, the teams that have, te- you know, have the same amount of kind of number of guys who grow together. You know, experience still wins in college basketball. Yes, talent's important, but you know, to me, experience is vital. And, and I think that's one thing that's really hurt St. John's this year is they have basically a new team outside of their big, you know, outside of Champagne, Posh, and Wusu. It's a completely new team. And it, it's it's taken this team a while. And it's still taking them time to, to you know, to, to figure it out. So, I mean, it's not easy. Just, you know, like on paper, I thought St. John's was improved. But paper doesn't necessarily mean anything. You know, you got to – become a team and and that is that's obviously been a challenge for them uh no question but like you said there are plenty of opportunities ahead zach last question uh obviously they're like you said there are another 15 uh league games to go for a lot of teams uh if not more can we even begin to think of who might be the big east player of the year or is it too early for that i mean they're contenders i mean you know sonogo is clearly a contender I think Champagny is a contender. St. John's um, really turns it around. He's having a fantastic year. I think Gillespie is probably the, the leader at this point. You know, they, they love to give it to the best player on the best team. Watson is, is obviously in the mix as well. Um, you know, I, I don't really see a seat and hall guy because they don't really have one guy. They have like three or four kind of leading guys. They, they, you know, it's always, sometimes it's a different guy every night um, for them. But yeah, I, Right now, I, I my my three top guys would probably be Sonogo, Watson, and Gillespie, and then Champagne is lurking. If St. John's could really make a run and, and and you know have a really good league season, just because he's you know he's, he's averaging over twenty one a game, he's 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 got career highs in rebounds and um, assists and steals, and he's shooting a career high best forty four over forty percent from three. So I he I wouldn't forget about him if 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 St. John's ends up you know somehow working its way into the top four here. But right now, I think the three leading contenders are Sonogo, Gillespie, and Watson. 
I, I, I would tend to agree, you know, winning breeds awards like that. Uh, I, I would put Gillespie one, I would put uh, Sonogo two and right behind him with Watson, but, but a lot of games to be played and, and boy, it, it is getting fun, Zach. Um, hey, yeah. I've had a lot of fun uh, talking to you. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and, and uh, I will see you at a game very soon. Probably that those St. John's Seton Hall uh, back cool, to back man. on Saturday and Monday. Those are going to be fun. Yeah, definitely, man. Cool, man. I'll be in touch. All right. All right, Zach. Thanks for coming right. on. Talk to you Talk soon. To you later. All right. That's Zach Braziller from the New York Post. Does a fantastic job covering St. John's and Seton Hall. Boy, uh, two teams that thought that they were going to be right in the thick of things in the Big East Conference. Seton Hall is there, but COVID has kind of dug them a little bit of a hole. And now they have to try to pick up the pieces and win at Marquette just to get back to three and three. While St. John's has certainly underachieved uh, to this point, but at the same time, as you heard Zach say, there are plenty of opportunities that lie ahead for St. John's to not only get quality wins, but get wins that build their resume and get wins that get them back into the top half of this rugged Big East Conference. The fun has only just begun in the Big East. All right, let's talk D2 hoops now, NCAA Division II basketball here in New Jersey. And that means the Central Atlantic Collegiate Conference, home of Caldwell University. Uh, Saturday, January 8th, history was made here in the Garden State. If you didn't hear about it, it was big news because when Caldwell defeated Holy Family University, 61-55, that was win number 604 for head coach Mark Carino, making him the winningest men's basketball coach in the state of New Jersey. That's division one, two, or three. He is at the top, Mark Carino. The record formerly held by former Stockton University head coach, Jerry Matthews. This is Carino's 34th season at Caldwell. He started in 1988. He has coached five seasons at Bloomfield College, 34 at Caldwell, so 39 years in total. And we're gonna talk about that right now because it's my pleasure to welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, Mark Carino. Coach, thank you for coming on and congratulations. What a moment for you, Caldwell, and New Jersey uh, NCAA basketball. Well, Brian, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate your words. And uh, it's a pleasure to be with you this afternoon. Uh, it, it, the pleasure's all mine, coach. I mean, when that buzzer sounded, all right, you knew leading up to it that this could be the night on Saturday against Holy Family. But when that buzzer sounded, you knew you won. You knew you had the record. What's going through your mind? Well, I got to tell you, the first thing, first thing that went through my mind is, you know, that this was a long time coming because unfortunately with COVID last year, we only played a handful of games. I think we ended up playing 11 or 11 or 12 games. Um, and this year, unfortunately COVID, you know, we had some COVID issues mm -hmm. um, where we didn't play a game for almost a month from, uh, you know, I think the last game we played was in December down in Florida, we played, I guess it was around December 10th. So it's almost been a month since we've played again. And we played two games this week, which we were fortunate enough to win both of them. So it was kind of a relief to be quite honest with you. Um, 
you know, but more than anything, what went through my mind is the fact that I was so proud of the program, of the people that have helped me throughout the years being here and who have spent the time with me through the journey, as well as, you know, our institution. So it, it was a proud moment for all of us involved. And, you know, it makes me think about all, you know, all the years back when, uh, when I was laying in bed the other day, I started to think a little bit going into yesterday. And I said to myself, you know, I can't be, you know, how blessed I am to have the opportunity to coach the number of student athletes that I've coached over the years. How proud it is to, to have people call you back at, you know, during the last week or two to say, congratulations, we'll be following you. You know, those types of things uh, from former players, former coaches, and the people that you've met throughout the basketball world over the years that I've been here. So, you know, I'm certainly very blessed and very proud of, of, of the journey that we've had. But most importantly, you know, the support of my family, the support of our institution and everybody involved. So, you know, I can't thank everybody enough for, you know, what it is that they've done to help us get through this and get us to this point. It's not easy to coach that long uh, at, you know, overall, yet alone in one place, coach. Yes. Well, that, you know, that's really true. And, and, and again, being fortunate that uh, because in this coaching profession, you know, for you to, to make progress, you need to move. But I've been very fortunate. I, I made one move in my life, and that was to come to Caldwell. And, uh, you know, God has treated me extremely well. And uh, at this place, you know, there's, you know, we've had our deficiencies, as everybody does. But we certainly have had a great amount of support. And I can't thank the people enough for being supportive and providing us the opportunity to do what we do here. And, you know, I'm, uh, again, um, I'm blessed to have that opportunity. And Mark, uh, you're, you have a special relationship with your athletic director, as I understand it. Um, pretty close relationship, as a matter of fact, because yeah. you are the athletic director. So, so take us through that story and, and how you do it, not just as athletic director, but assistant vice president, uh, as we were talking before we started the podcast, you, you came to Caldwell, not necessarily to be the head coach, but to be the athletic director. And, and here you are 34 years later, holding the title of assistant vice president, athletic director, head coach. That's not very common. So how do you do it? Well, I have to be honest with you. It's the only thing that I've known. And people ask me that question all the time, you know, and we do it because it's, it's what I know, it's what we do. Um, but I'm, again, uh, I, I keep looking back at it and I say I'm, I'm lucky because the administration allowed me the opportunity to do that. And when I first started, as you mentioned, um, I came as the athletic director. Uh, it was an all women's school the year before I got here. It went co-ed, they wanted to establish a, an, an athletic department. Um, so I was the first full-time athletic director that they hired. Um, and when I took the coaching job my first year, you know, I thought I would coach a couple of years and then obviously give it up and, 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 and just use my energy and times on developing an athletic department. You know, at the time, we only had a few women's sports. Men's basketball was the first men's sport that was added. 
Um, and we were an NAIA school at that point. Um, and then what we ended up doing was obviously continuing to grow as an institution. The athletic department grew. We started adding sport after sport. We went from being a school with having three or four intercollegiate programs to today having 17 intercollegiate programs, going from an NAIA school to an NCAA double, you know, double uh, division two school. So the growth process and the challenges along the way, you know, for me is everything that kept me going. But what, but the point to answer your question, you know, I'm very fortunate to have a great amount of staff members on both sides of the fence, so to speak. On the administrative side, I have three or four different associate and assistant athletic directors that handle a lot of the operations. I have three assistant coaches on the men's basketball side that I trust, that I give a great amount of responsibilities to. So, you know, I have a great staff on both ends of the fence, so to speak, that, mm-hmm. that allow me the opportunity to do what I love and that's coach, as well as obviously be a leader and be a leader of, of people. And uh, I look at my staff as, as one team and I look at the men's basketball as another team. So I'm fortunate to be able to coach in, you know, both teams and, and to develop some leadership qualities and everybody involved. And that's what I try to do on a daily, regular basis. And as you said, you know, people say, well, how do you do it? You know, it's the only thing I know. And, and again, with the support of home and my family, I've been in a position, fortunately, to be able to do this. But it, I have to tell you, it doesn't get easier. And uh, over time, you know, every society has changed. Not only, not only do, do, do you know the student athletes have changed, but society has changed. And so, therefore, you have to change with it. And I think, you know, I try to do my best to change and to keep up with the times. And um, you know, one thing I did find, or I do find, over the years, the last number of years. Is that being, you know, the, the hours that I spend with the young men in the gym are probably the, the, the best hours of my day, so to speak. And uh, so from that standpoint, I really, I really still enjoy it. I still have the passion for it. I still have the desire and that competitive edge that I think uh, is necessary to be successful. So I'm really, I'm really uh, in a good place with, when it comes to that at this institution. What has been the most beneficial um, aspect of from moving from NAIA, which is another governing body of intercollegiate athletic sports, to NCAA Division Two. Right. Well, I think first of all, when you say NAIA, um, you know, the first thing people say is, "Well, wh- what is that?" You right. know, and and so the the lack of understanding or the lack of knowledge of that organization um, in relationship to being recognized as an NCAA Division II program. So I think the, 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 the first thing or the best of, of being a Division II program is the recognition or the, the understanding of what actually it is. And as a conference, um, we went, the entire conference went from NAIA to Division II. Okay. Um, you know, we all moved within a two-year period. You know, we had to go through a a probationary period through the NCAA. We went through all the process, which was a, which was a lengthy process and certainly one in which we had to make an investment. You know, our schools had to make an investment to get into the NCAA. You know, we had to, you know, we had to invest in more scholarship money. We had to invest in obviously a larger operations budget, uh, facilities, 
you know, adding sports. So those were the things that were necessary to, to become a viable NCAA Division II program. And, you know, not only, you know, I'm really proud of the fact that not, and not necessarily just basketball, but, you know, we've had a lot of success in many of our sports. You know, the first couple of years, our women's softball team, uh, we were fortunate enough to go to the NCAA World Series, mm -hmm. um, which was a great, great accomplishment for a team that was only two years old into the NCAA. And, and you know, we've won a lot of, we've won a lot of championships in our conference and we've had a great NCA experiences in many different sports. So it's been a tremendous opportunity for us. And again, the visibility, um, you know, even from a student athlete recruiting standpoint, you know, it's been a benefit, um, you know, and the fact that we were able to provide athletic scholarships, um, all those things obviously add up and to, you know, to put us in a position where we can be a successful division two program. So going back to 1988, when you first took over as athletic director, you came from Bloomfield College as the head coach, and you're in uncharted territory. Look back at that, un that university. It was a college then. Correct. Um, it was Caldwell College. Uh, compare what it looks like then to where it is now, and, and how much joy does it bring you to know that you had you know, so much to do with shaping that. So I guess that's a two-part question. Yeah, well, the first thing is, if you were to step on the campus then and now and step on it now, you wouldn't recognize you, you were in the same, you know, on the same footprint. Mm -hmm. uh, the growth of the institution through the facilities, through buildings that, were, that have been built here since that point in time. Um, our Newman Center is a perfect example of that. We played in, in, the, in the old student center gym my first number of years here before we were fortunate enough to build this facility that we have now. Um, and that was a typical Catholic kind of Catholic high school kind of gymnasium. You know, it had a stage and, and it had seating on one side, you know, but for us, it was a very good, it was a very good facility that we had a tremendous amount of success in. Mm -hmm. But when you look back at it and when you look back at the fact that we had no locker rooms and my office was a converted uh, uh, commuter lounge, so to speak. Um, I, it is a proud moment to look around and to walk around this campus and to think that athletics has played a major role in the growth of this institution over those years. And, uh, you know, there's been tremendous challenges along the way. I mentioned building this, this particular building that we're in now. We have one of the, you know, one of the nicest Division II facilities around. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, with that being said, you know, people used to say to me, if you think that uh, you're going to get the, the nuns at your Catholic, you know, college at that time, you know, to build you an athletic facility, you, you better think again. But, you know, it's strange how things happen. But, you know, our institutions, you know, started to grow and we started to bring in male students and bring in athletes. And right now, you know, as we enter into next year, we're going to be, we're, we have close to over 400 student athletes in our programs right now. Fantastic. So that's a big number. And, um, you know, it has the growth of the institution, it, it, you know, the growth of the athletic department is parallel to the growth of the institution. And I do truly believe that we've had a major role in the growth of our institution. And it's been, it's been a wonderful journey along the way. So, um, 
you know, I, I, I think that uh, as a, as a college, as an institution, as a university right now, you know, we are, we are continuing to grow. Uh, we're adding new academic majors. We're at, you know, we've added in graduate programs, doctoral programs. So on the, on the academic side, it has grown considerably as well as on the athletic side. So we have a, we have a, a wonderful university here that's challenging in all aspects, academically challenging as well as athletically challenging. And it's one that we're very proud of. Uh, you said it, you said it so well, coach, that, you know, as, as the athletic department grew, so did the opportunities uh, for education, the buildings, the resources, uh, and the, you know, the structure, the infrastructure to, to study and learn. And that's what college is all about. And that, that's the beautiful part about it. Um, yeah. When you look back on your 34 years at Caldwell, are there, you know, I, I guess what comes to mind is, uh, are there any memorable wins or losses that, that you just, uh, that are just unforgettable? Well, there's a few wins, but and there's many losses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I have to tell you that, yes, I mean, you know, you win some championship games, you have some championship opportunities. Those are all things that stick with you through your lifetime and through your, and, uh, you know, but probably the, 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 the one, the, the few things that stick with me more than anything um, is the friendships and the relationships that are developed. Um, and, you know, I have guys that played on my first team here that are now considered my best friends. And, uh, you know, they're probably, they're in their fifties now or whatever. And, uh, you know, we're still in touch. And I think, you know, not only, and I say from the first teams, but it's throughout, um, you know, so to me, those are the most important things. And I try, you know, we can consistently try, you know, we, we look at it as being educators, coaches are educators and in this environment, and with that being said, you try to educate them about life and, you know, the qualities that you need to have to be successful athletically, you know, in regards to being a team player and in regards to making sacrifices and being committed to something uh, and the work ethics that's necessary, you know, to be successful on a court or on a playing field. You know, those are all qualities that will put you in in a position to be successful in whatever walk of life that you establish. So, you know, that is the groundwork, so to speak, of what and how we go about our business here. You know, to develop them as, as human beings is the most important thing and to prepare them for what it is that they have to do in their future. You know, those are the things to me that I get to get the greatest reward from, to see their successes with their lives and to see their successes with their families now and to see those kids have their children and bring their children to our games. When I see that, or when I invite them into the locker room to speak to the guys that are here presently, you know, to me, those are the things that, that really stick out with me and that are, are, are the things and what keeps you going, you know? Um, so if you talk about wins, yeah, we had some nice wins, championship wins. We've had some teams, division one wins that stick with me over the years. Um, you knocked off some division one teams, really? Yeah, we've, we've had a few, um, you know, we usually play a few a year. Okay. You know, the last, well, the last year or so it's been a little bit difficult, but you know, before COVID, um, you know, we played 
we beat, we had a game against Norfolk State. We played Monmouth, Norfolk State in a, in a tournament. Um, we've played, you know, Seton Hall, Rutgers, uh, you know, no, a number of games. And actually, um, one of the things that probably from a career standpoint that stuck out with me, that sticks out with me more than anything is the fact that we've had the opportunity to play at Notre Dame um, wow. a few years back. And we had a we had a wonderful trip. We played Notre Dame on a Thursday, and then played DePaul on a Saturday. Um, so those are the experiences, not only for me, but for the kids that are in the program that are life remembering things. Sure, you know, sure. Who could say um, they're going to so, South Bend and, and play them? How did you how did you orchestrate uh, that road trip, Coach Notre Dame and DePaul? Well, I had an assistant with me at the time, a gentleman by the name of Dennis Gregory, who unfortunately passed away while working for me. I don't know if you know what, Dennis. Yes, he, he many years at Rutgers. Oh, what, yes. what, a, what a and he was a, a he was a friend that, that he was a friend of mine for years. And I, you know, he was at Rutgers as an assistant, and then he worked with me here as an assistant athletic director when he passed away suddenly uh, a couple of years back. Um, but when Dennis was here. Um, I had the opportunity also to serve on a number of NCA division, you know, NCA committees. Mm -hmm. And one of the committees that I served on for four years was the NCA rules committee, basketball, men's basketball rules committee, which was a great experience for me being, you know, and, and that's, and I was there with other division one coaches and whatnot that were on that rules committee and had the opportunity to meet Mike Bray and became, you know, so it developed through that and, and obviously through Dennis helping along the way uh, and, and putting the trip together. So that was the opportunity that was developed there. But, you know, and to play against Rutgers and Fred Hill at the time and, 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 and uh, Seton Hall, you know, we, we usually play that one, at least one of them every other year or whatever. Okay. Um, so, yes, we've had the opportunity to play Division One, sprinkled into ours, you know, in the exhibition games as well. So it's been a it's been a wonderful journey. That's what I could say mostly. And, uh, and to provide those opportunities to our kids, uh, is, is something that obviously is what we look to try to do. I'm fascinated to, to just learn more about the, the university and the program, the, not only the athletic department, but also what you've done with the program. Uh, one thing that's also pretty special that I wanted to touch upon is every time you walk into, uh, the Newman center, right? Yeah, uh, that basketball court has your name on it. It's like walking into the Jadwin gym and there's Pete Carroll court or Coach K court. It, it's Mark A. Carino court. That That's pretty cool. Yes, it is. <laughs> it, it, it is special. You know, and I guess when you look at this profession, um, that's probably one of the greatest things that you could accomplish. Um, so, and again, I can only thank my institution for recognizing me in that manner and to put me in that, you know, to provide me with that opportunity. I think, uh, you know, and it is special. And if, if, if I look, you know, as I look back at it, you know, it's probably one of the, you know, the, the one thing that I'm probably proud of more than anything is the fact that people thought enough of me and what I, what we have done here you know, to, to, to provide me with that special honor. And like I said, in this profession, that's about the top of the list as far as what honors you can receive. 
you know? So it's something that I'm very, very proud of. Something that, you know, my family is very proud of, obviously. Um, and it is special. So, yeah, you know, but every day when I walk in here, I look at it and it, it, it provides me the opportunity to make sure that I continue to work as hard as I possibly can for the betterment of our student athletes and for the betterment of our institution. And that's what I've been committed to over the years. And that's what I will be committed to, to the end. So coach, let's call it like it is here, right? You're, you you are closer to the end than you are at the beginning. You've accomplished so much uh, as an athletic director, as a v assistant vice president, as a head coach, you know, have you started to think about the end and boy, 604. Hmm. Maybe if I can get to 650, that's a nice round number. Wow, can I ever get to 700? Do you, do you start to think about that? Um, do you start to think about, well, maybe I'll give up the athletic director and just coach, or maybe I'll give up the coaching and just become an app, you know, stay with athletic director. Have you thought about any of that that you can share? Well, I, yes, I, we have thought about it. You know, um, last year, our institution at, you know, we have a new president, uh, a gentleman that uh, has been is, is very supportive of athletics, you know, and he, I've been put in a position of being a, a cabinet member at the institution. Um, so there is added responsibility there. So as I look ahead, I would I, I, I believe. And this hasn't been decided as far as anything other than, you know, just the thought process at this point in time. Mm -hmm. That at some point, you know, yes, I will retire from the coaching piece and stay as the vice president of athletics. I think that's probably the direction that we will go. Um, but as I said, that hasn't been decided at this point in time. And I just look forward to each and every day now and to enjoy the, like I said before, enjoy the opportunity with our student athletes. Provide as much as I can as far as, you know, improvement from a team standpoint on a daily basis and work very hard to continue to, you know, put us in a position to be successful. And, and that's the only thing I, that's the only way I look, I don't look that far down advance, uh, down the road. I just look from day to day and I keep working. And when the time comes, people always said to me, well, when the time comes, you'll know when, mm -hmm. you know, you'll, you'll, you'll understand when. And, uh, I haven't, I haven't had that time at this point. So I'm just going day by day and we're working through everything and um, I'm enjoying my, my run as long as I can. And, and I can hear the passion in your voice. I can, I can hear the passion about, you know, what this program means to you and how excited you are when you get in the gym. So let me make it clear, coach. I'm not trying to push you out the door here. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm not trying to push you out the door in any way. As a matter of fact, let's talk about this, this season. All right, coming off that win over Holy Family, the team the team is six and five overall. You're right there, two and two in the conference, uh, with a couple of wins. So, so how about where the team stands now, coming out of COVID and you know trying to stay healthy and win a conference championship? You know, a lot of games to be played in January and February and hopefully March. Yes, well, you know, you're certainly right. We hope that we're able to provide the opportunity to play the games as we go forward. Um, we did hit a tough stretch in December. Uh, we went to play down in Florida, uh, I guess the second weekend in December. 
And uh, we had two games scheduled down there. We get down there, day of, the, day of the first game, I get a call from the team, and they had COVID, and mm. they weren't able to play. So we ended up going down there and playing one game as opposed to two. Um, and then, unfortunately, when we came back, we went through a COVID time frame mm-hmm. where we had some kids in isolation and, and so forth. Uh, so it's been, a, it's been a struggle up to this point. Um, with my team, I, I think, you know, I, to put it this way, I'm, I'm really optimistic that we will continue to improve. I believe we have a big upside. We're very young. We only have one player that will not be returning. Um, so we're very young. We're playing some freshmen. We're starting two freshmen right now. Um, so there's a learning process right there. Never easy. Um, right. The one thing, you know, I think we have some talented individuals. You know, now, with that being said, having them play together as a group, you know, we're working on that on a regular basis. And, we're, and we need, you know, obviously to utilize everybody's individual talents and, and blend them together and, and to put together a cohesive unit, which we're trying to do and which we're working on on a, on a regular basis. Um, but with that being said, I do believe that we have a big upside and I think we're capable of, of improvement. You know, a positive I try to tell these guys is that, you know, fortunately this year, our conference tournament is being played at our facility. So we got to work our butts to get there and that'll be an advantage if we can get there. There's, there's no question. Two things that are dear to my heart, coach, uh, defense and, and rebounding. I, I, I admire teams that do that. That's the way uh, my coach in high school, Joe Riley, uh, taught us the fundamentals. And, and if you could do those two things, um, you have a chance. One yep. of your players uh, was just named Conference Defensive Player of the Week. Isn't that right, Darnell Rancy? Darnell Rancy, yeah. And this is the second time for him. At seven and- blocks, seven blocks and two steals against Georgian court. Uh, that, that, that could be a month for some guys. That, that's pretty impressive. So congrats to Darnell. Yes. And, uh, you know, he's been a much improved defensive player. He's, uh, you know, he's a long, he's long. He's, he's, he's about six, eight. He's long. He, uh, you know, and he's coming into his own right now. He's starting to recognize and understand what he's capable of doing. You know, he was a little bit in his shell last year as a freshman, but he, he got a few games under his belt last year. And hopefully, as I said before, he's one of the ones that I'm talking about when I say, you know, I believe we have a big upside and that, you know, he's a, he's, he can be a very capable player, not only on the defensive side, but he, you know, he is, he can be a, a decent offensive player as well. So we're, improve, we're working with him on, on improving his offensive game, but uh, defensively, you know, he gets the challenge every night of playing, you know, the best big man that they, that the opponents have. Um, and he's been, he's up for that challenge and he's been doing a good job with that over the last couple of games that we've played. And as you said, I believe he's had like 10 blocks just over the last two games. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he, he's going to be okay. He'll, he'll be okay. And he'll improve offensively as we go. Well, coach, uh, you know, continued success this season. Uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast to not only talk about your accomplishment, winning number 604, but also uh, your experience here at Caldwell University and, and how you've grown along with it. It's an amazing story, amazing journey. And thank you for coming on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast and sharing that with us.
Uh, well, Brian, I want to thank you for the opportunity. And once again, I just I, I just need to say that, you know, I'm very fortunate to have the opportunities that I've had here at Caldwell University and to work with the people I work with. You know, I have a coaching staff. And I just need to mention this because when you talk about success, I think I, uh, I'm very fortunate. My success is with the people that I am surrounded by. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a coaching staff that has been with me. You know, I, they, I've been here for whatever, 33 three years, 34 years now. And I have a young man, a young man that's been with me from almost the start. He's been with me for 30 years as my assistant coach, as well as an associate athletic director now, our head women's softball coach. And, uh, you know, he has been with me every step along the way. Who is that? And he, he, has, he wears many hats too. Who is that coach? He wears many hats. Dean Johnson wears many hats. He's been with me every step along the way. Wow. And not only has he been with me, but he's been side by side. Um, you know, I don't walk in front of him. I walk along with him. And uh, I could not, we could not be where we are today without him and without what he has provided to this program and his loyalty to our program and to our institution over the years. And to go along with that, I have other coaches that have been with me for 14 and 15 years as assistants and whatnot. So yes, I'm very blessed to have those people who have made our programs what they are today. Hey, life is all about relationships. It sounds like you have some of the strongest, strongest relationships out there, coach, and you know, you're loyal to each other. And when that is there, you know, you can't help but have success. So uh, continued success, coach. I thank you so much again for the opportunity to speak with you. All right, coach, thank you. Something tells me someday they're going to create and erect a statue of Mark Carino at Caldwell University. He is the basketball program. He is that university. He has helped build that program and build that university from the ground up. You heard it. Uh, if anyone, epitomizes the heart and soul of Caldwell University, it's Mark Carino. My thanks to Coach Carino. My thanks to Zach Braziller from the New York Post. What a show, everybody. Wow. It is a lot of fun talking college hoops in the tri-state area because you never know what great story, what great team, what great interviews are going to be out there on any given day. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian Dinovellis. So long, everybody. Enjoy the games.